Today, the underpriced attention is Facebook Reels. 1998, Wine Library, my dad's liquor store, had 150,000 people on its email newsletter and had 91.3%. Google AdWords, when they came out, I bought every wine term, people forget, but they were five cents floor for about eight months or so before 10 cents became the floor. And literally, I owned every word from wine itself to Silver Oak to Chateau Lafitte. And I was able to build a very large business for my dad with very little capital because I was able to understand where the underpriced attention was. And I was able to understand how to fill that underpriced attention with the creative. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. <laughs> Great to have you here, Gary. It is uh, tr- truly an honor for me personally. I don't know if you remember, I think we brought it up, but probably not in a long time. About 15 years ago, when you had Wine Library, and my brother and I were starting our, our uh, alcohol brand, Vive, not to be confused with V, but we could have could have been partners maybe back then. Uh, we reached out to you, and, and so uh, it's an honor to share a stage with you, and come a long way since uh, a couple of adult beverage guys. Congrats on everything. Thank you. It's really nice to be with everybody. Um, you know, per the last panel, the, one of the things that I, I really I've always respected a ton about you is, is the kind of the grit and the hustle, and it doesn't have to be burnout, but per the last panel, it was really interesting to kind of think that those are some of the quality, qualities um, that I think you, know, you really embody. So anyways, moving to the future. What, what are kind of industries or areas that you think are really gonna be disrupted in, in the next five years? Like what, what will surprise us, or what do you think no one kind of sees coming right now? You know, it's ironic given you know, the makeup of the room in here, I actually think, which is unusual by standards of the last two decades, I think almost no one here is going to be surprised about the disruption in the next five years because I think the aggressiveness of how big the technology and movement of AI is would, I'd be shocked if people here would be surprised that literally everything is in play to be disrupted given the nature of how large this innovation is. I think this moment that I think we're in is a little bit more similar to the late 90s, early 2000s when it was obvious if you were paying attention or in a room like this with the kind of people that are in this room that this internet thing was really going to disrupt everything. I think the question becomes timing. When I hear the five year question, it's not what's gonna be disrupted, the answer is everything. It's in what pattern? Right, bookstores were just really unlucky first. And, and then people that owned medallions on cabs 15, 20 years later. So I think for a lot of us in this room, it's an interesting time to navigate our decisions and our opportunity costs and our investments and what we wanna get into because there's just a lot going on. Not, not only the acceleration of technologies we've been waiting for or aware of. There's many people here, I remember four or five years ago, looking at a lot of AI companies, and even with my slightly solid, somewhat dangerous understanding of technology, I realized half of them were really just APIs being put together and were bozo, or maybe on a good day some ML stuff, but not really there. And then here we are, and this is the year where you're really seeing stuff, and you're like, this is what we were talking about six, seven years ago. So I think, you know, I think that, I think, look, just things I think everyone should be thinking about here. I, I was born in the former Soviet Union. What, what, there's a lot to that, but I think one of the things that it reminds me of is like people in the 50s, 60s, and 70s around the world didn't go to 
all the places around the world. Like if you were an American in 1972, like you weren't going to Yugoslavia. Like you weren't going, like you weren't, and I think we have a major rise of nationalism and geopolitics and BRICS and the US dollar and this and so I think another thing that will become more clear over the next five years is like the world's changing in front of us and that's gonna impact the way we make investing decisions and life decisions. So I guess to answer your question, I think everything is in play and that makes it harder or more exciting depending on where everyone here is in their cycle. Well, on that note, as a, as a master of the medium, um, how do you kind of see social media evolving in the next decade? You know, it's funny, it, you know, I, I'm not really that obsessed or, or overly emotional about the concept of social media in the way that I think maybe some would think if they've even spent a second paying attention to what I'm up to. I'm, I'm obsessed and focused on the concept of where attention is. You know, so, if I started my marketing firm in the late 90s, we would have been an email marketing Google AdWords company, right? You know, it's actually really fun visually. I'm seeing two of the more handsome men in the room, Tim Armstrong and Ben Lear. One was very prolific in email and one was very prolific in Google Ads. And that would have been my firm in 2000 because I knew that was underpriced attention. For some of the OGs in this room, in 1998, Wine Library, my dad's liquor store, had 150,000 people on its email newsletter and had 91.3% open rates. When Ben started Thrillist, there was no chance he could achieve that because the medium of consumer behavior had shifted and marketers like myself had ruined email for other people and they could never achieve those numbers. Google AdWords, when they came out, I bought every wine term, people forget, but they were five cents floor for about eight to months or so before 10 cents became the floor and literally I owned every word from wine itself to Silver Oak to Chateau Lafitte and I was able to build a very large business for my dad with very little capital because I was able to understand where the underpriced attention was and I was able to understand how to fill that underpriced attention with the creative, whether that was the copywriting back then. Today the underpriced attention is Facebook Reels. Right this second, as we sit here right this second, Scaled underpriced attention to market in America and many parts of the world sits on Facebook Reels. The amount of people talking about Facebook Reels is like seven. <laughs> and so, just, just to clarify, when you say Facebook Reels, you mean Instagram Reels? Or I sure Facebook? don't. Mm-hmm. Just clarifying. I, I knew that, of course. I sent, <laughs> I sent the company wide email the other day, which I rarely do, but I'm like, I need everybody to get focused on Facebook Reels immediately. Literally half my company emailed me back. They're like, I don't even have Facebook because I have so many people under 26. And I was, and literally it was quite enjoyable to reply back to them like, you know how you've been shitting on everyone for not knowing TikTok? Well now they're gonna shit on you. And so, you know, I think for me, what do I think about the next 10 years? I think it'd be stunning if we didn't have a decentralized social network at scale in 10 years. I think that's a, elephant in the room that will be really interesting to see. I think, you know, I think with AI and deep fake and all the stuff that we're about to deal with, I think decentralized servers, Web3, is about to really start showing people its value, improving provenance. I think we're all very aware of people's cynicism and politics that come along with centralized social networks. So even with Blue Sky and what Jack's up to, like, I think it'd be shocking if in 10 years we don't have a decentralized social network that's successful. I'd be surprised if two or three more 
Snap or TikToks didn't come along. I think I view social networks kind of like I view very successful TV shows like Seinfeld or you know SNL which is having a long run. Like they're gonna be platforms that come out that have seven, 10, 12 year runs. But then like nightlife, like a club or a restaurant can only stay so hot for so long because the next generation kind of wants their own place. So I think when I, when I hear that question, I think over the next five to 10 years, you'll see another emerge because Gen Alpha is gonna need their spot and they're gonna make fun of TikTok the way the TikTok generation made fun of Instagram, the way the Instagram generation made fun of Facebook. So I think there'll be two to three other places and in the first 24 to 48 months of that platform, there'll be an enormous opportunity for every person in this room, regardless of what they want to achieve. At that point, people here may want to run for office, raise capital for a nonprofit, start a new business, build a personal brand, whatever it may be. In that 24 to 48 months, there'll be an opportunity to outflank. And I think what continues to happen in my professional life, the Fortune 500 advertising landscape is the biggest brands in the world that spend the most money are incredibly slow because they run on fake reports. And so they don't know how to justify the ROI of new platforms. That will continue to be the arbitrage until that world changes and I don't see that changing very quickly. And so that's where a lot of opportunity for all of us continues to be and so those are some of the nuances I expect. Um, this is what you're probably, I think you answered my next two questions already. I was going to ask where the market dollars will go. You gave us the Facebook Reels tip. Um, and I was going to ask, but maybe. But there's a lot of them to just add more value sure. to the art. Like Spotify's biddable product where you can just literally record on your memos a radio ad and place it on Spotify's free product is a crazy underpriced attention execution at scale. Influencers can be a crazy place where you waste money, but it can be the greatest place to buy underpriced. Even traditional mediums, outdoor billboards, when you don't buy them on contract, you buy them remnant when they're available for two months in between two contracts, are a remarkable arbitrage on getting attention for what you want versus what you pay for. So, you know, I think the more this room can think about day trading attention, that this is not a set it and forget it, this is not a it's the way it is. It's a constant moving variable. I think that can service people well because at the end of the day, regardless of what anyone is doing in this room, the one thing I'm sure of that connects everyone is you're trying to find mediums to let people know about it so they do the thing you want them to do. Whether you throw a conference, whether you make videos, like the punchline of everything is nothing that anyone here wants to accomplish is achievable without other people knowing about it and acting on it. And so to me, what was clear 15 years ago was technology was gonna commoditize a whole lot of things except the ability to be a contemporary communicator and that whomever was best at being a contemporary communicator at scale would have a lot of leverage and that's why I've been eating shit for 13 years building an agency because it's really just a front for what I'm up to which is world domination. (laughs) I don't even know how we build on that but I have lots of thoughts on how you know, the things that you can't replicate with AI are some of the things you're talking about, contemporary communication, real relationships. But um, you, you've given us some really interesting things to focus on. I'm gonna try and trip you up here. What is something worth not investing in kind of coming up in the next cycle or two, whether it's, whether it's an actual monetary investment or more an investment of time? Well, I think the thing I'm talking about is being great at communicating today. I think what's very obvious in my corporate world 
is that people are obsessed with yesterday. They still want to do a television ad as if anyone on earth watches them. And by the way, just to give you context, $80 billion worth of media being bought for television, network, and cable ads, let alone the money that's being spent on making the ads. I think the place this kind of room gets kicked up on is why last year in the hype of NFTs and the things that were happening, the place where I was trying to stop a lot of friends were going to was the metaverse because the humans weren't there. This room, this energy, this DNA doesn't get caught up on believing in yesterday. It is believing in tomorrow too soon. So the place not worry, the place not to invest in is we are aware that these technologies are in place but pay attention to what the consumer's actually doing versus A, what you'd like them to do because you wrote a check, (laughs) which is just a killer and I appreciate the reaction from several of you. The place that is just so obvious to me is like you wrote a check and now you want it to be true. It's much better to be thoughtful before you write the check if it is true. And I think when you list the things that I've invested in, I became a worse investor over time. In the beginning when I was writing checks, all I was doing was based on like, oh, this is happening now and like people don't see it. And then over time you make a bunch of good investments, you get fancy and you think you're good at something. And, and, and I had to recalibrate back and now I try to, if I'm writing a check, it's like, it's actually happening. Not it might happen, it could happen. And so, you know, people are gonna get caught on VR being too early. Um, people are gonna get caught on a lot of things. The other thing is people get caught up in headlines and they're not actually educated in the craft. I am uncomfortably bullish on, I think of AI like oxygen. It's done, it's a foregone conclusion. And I'm putting in a ton of work to understand it, but I've been very patient in writing checks because it's no different than when I was bullish on social networks when I saw the MySpace thing. I don't know if a lot of you, I mean, looking at the crowd and knowing some faces here, you'll remember, it wasn't MySpace and Facebook. It was MySpace, Facebook, Orchid. In Brazil, Tim, um, you know, it was high five, it was tag world, we had, we had niche social networks. Everybody remember Dogster? We needed a social network for our dogs. Like, you know, and so what's gonna happen right now is over the next 24 months, the enormous amount of checks and money and time and energy people are gonna put into AI companies where the decision maker A, doesn't even understand the technology as well as they'd like to think, and B, doesn't realize that almost all of them are commoditized and that the people that are actually gonna win are gonna be far more based on the operators that drive the car than the car that they're building. And so I would say that people need to be very thoughtful during this next half decade because there's a lot of new, really substantial technologies, but just because it's happening, doesn't mean it's gonna work out. It's similar to why in the height last year of NFTs, I started going completely the other way and making videos saying 99% of these things are going to zero. The macro of an NFT is right, but the individual projects weren't. No different than sports cards we were just talking. Like, sports cards or art are good investments. The problem is, for the seven to 50 people that in this town 80 years ago that were smart and bought Jackson Pollock, there was thousands of other people that bought Jackson Schmalek and lost a ton of money. Like, yeah, Michael Jordan's rookie card is worth a lot of money, but 99% of athletes are not. 99% of AI startups are gonna fail. And so I think people need to be thoughtful. And you need to get more specific. I, I've literally had a friend come to me 10 years ago and said, we need to invest in water, it's the future. I was like, 
of course it is, but it's is water, just like AI is. That's exactly right. And that, but I think you know, like this is where we get caught, even when we're seasoned and good. We get excited. You're like, oh, I like this. I like. I know this space is happening. Just have to be in times like this, especially. And I'm sure people have noticed this. The speed in which these companies are popping up is extraordinary. Like, you know, I look at something that I, like AI creative is extremely fascinating to me. But the second, like I spent five minutes a year ago looking at Midjourney, there was like 20 other competitors I didn't even know existed. And like, by the way, there's 20 popping up a day right now. Because the technology itself is fascinating in the speed in which it can matter. So I just think people just need to be thoughtful during this time. Yeah. Last two lightning round questions for you. Uh, you know, you mentioned a little bit again ahead of your skis or a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of maybe hubris that we all kind of see ourselves in when we have some good investments or good whatever. What's, how do, how do you view luck? I mean, going back to the last panel, I just love your grit, I love your hustle. Are you like a chance favors to prepare a guy or how do you make your own luck or is it something different? The way I look at luck is based on how the person that's deploying the word is weaponizing it. That was good. Well, well, let's talk it through. Like, what do I think about luck? I was traded for wheat. I was born in the Soviet Union. The way I got to this country where entrepreneurship is put on a pedestal versus what happened to both my grandfathers, which was by being entrepreneurs in Soviet Russia, they spent meaningful time in jail. So I get here and get to stand on fancy stages and hang out with cool people, and my grandfather's my mom's dad spent 10 years in jail for selling like sausage for tile. So what do I think about luck? I think it's fucking real. Like, you know, your mom and dad had sex at the right moment, that's why you're even sitting here. <laughs> How can anyone understand it's a variable? On the flip side, all my friends and acquaintances who sit around and do nothing and watch cable television news and make themselves depressed 24 hours a day and produce nothing and do nothing and then decide to deploy luck on their friends or contemporaries as a weapon to prove something to themselves based on what they're not doing, I don't believe in that version of luck. So I think luck is real, but I think it depends on the context. I think everyone here is lucky because a million things happen for you to get here including avoiding disease and so many things. Like that just, it's, the, it's the human spirit but when people look at anyone who actually works and says they're lucky, like LeBron was lucky the way he was born. You know how many hours of work went into that finished product? And you know how many people were born with that same capability? So I think you have to be careful in the context of how you deploy it. That's really well said. Um, Thank you, sir. <laughs> what, uh, what is the last question? What's in the future for Gary? Continue to try to pull it off. It's a big part of my journey, but I think I, re- I started to understand it in my late 30s, early 40s, which was like, oh, I love my craft. I've always loved being an entrepreneur. I always wanted to do business. I guess even at a young age, I subconsciously understood if I make a huge goal, I'll always be playing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think I'm a counter puncher, and what I mean by that is, I really don't know the answer to that question. I know that I like being active as a business person, as a communicator. I'm really in a small group of people that really the thing they love is also a thing they ended up being good at. So I'm incredibly driven by gratitude. Um, you know, I'm in the life cycle where I'm like, you know, I want to be thoughtful about like what makes me happy and be more thoughtful about my choices. I think one of the things, I love the last panel. 
for the people in here that are built on grit or come from the dirt or I really love that statement of like not being impressed. That happened to me. I was an atrocious student and it wasn't until my late 20s, early 30s that I'm like, wait a minute. I can kill all these Harvard fuckers. You know, like, like so I understood that. You know, um, but I think one of, the, one of the downsides of being driven by grit and like basically willing it to success is maybe you're not as selective. You know, like, you know, I'm, I, I've built in a lot of ways where I'm just like, I'm doing everything always at 100. I think, you know, I want to be a little bit more selective, but the reality is I know that I just want to keep, you know, cultivating relationships through the context of business that leads to great friendships, still play my game. Like, I desperately want to die at my desk. And what I mean by that is, like, I don't see, like, I don't know what to do if I'm not, like, being active. Like, I don't understand being 91 and, like, I don't want to fish. You know, like, like so, so I, I, I kind of anticipate always doing, but, like, you know, I just, I just want to do stuff and then I want to communicate about it with the hope, you know, I'm incredibly affected by the way I was parented. And I think when I analyze why do I put myself so out there, I realize that the words out of predominantly my mom, but a good part of my dad, the words that were said to me formed how I rolled. And I think there's a lot of intriguing advice both from parenting and society that is just wildly not practical to the truth of the situation and so I'm motivated by doing stuff and then communicating about it with the hope that it impacts some people positively. Thank you so much. I wish we could do this for much longer but we appreciate the attention. Thank you. Cheers.